This week on the Recruitment Flex, Canada shed 17,000 jobs in May and we questioned the data. Is Indeed backtracking on pay transparency? Job seekers are trying to even the playing field with AI tools and some quick fixes for your career page. The Recruitment Flex starts after this message from our partner at VanHack. Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. Van Hack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. Van Hack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. Van Hack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join Van Hack today. Yeah, visit Van Hack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, you look like it's raining outside or something. <laughs> it's my hair flat. <laughs> oh, geez. I didn't think you'd notice. Oh, God. The rain is so welcome. Holy cow. Did we need it? Yeah, finally, Mother Nature was kind to us and brought us some moisture. Do you know who's really happy in my household? My wife. You know how they talk about dads, how they become obsessed with their lawn? Well, that's yes. my wife, right? Like she oh, is really lawn, like, and she's the one to conserve all the time. But when it comes to watering the lawn or anything like that, she's all on board for it to be green. So I think she's extremely happy. Well, do you know, I actually appreciate pride of ownership. Even as I drive through the neighborhood that I live in and I look at people's lawn and I understand you don't want to waste water. We've been without rain and moisture, but man, there's nothing stopping you from pulling those weeds out. Exactly. Like when you see someone's home and I just imagine the inside is probably just as tired, dry and run down. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I think it really says something about how much you value your home and taking care of things that you have, right? So good for Di. I think that's a really good sign. So, hey, Serge, we got some really nice comments on our new brand and our new colors. Thank you to everyone out there in listener land. Very nice, very Canadian comments, right? And compliments. Because do we really expect somebody's going to say, why orange or... God, you look like you had a bad spray tan, Shelly. Like we found things. I'm like, oh, this could be better. But you think about this just to me, Brian is iterating it and making it better as we go. Do check out their recruitmentflex.com. I'm pretty proud of it because I rebuilt the website all yeah. on my own. I think it looks good. Not great. You did but- wonderful. It looks great. Like such a difference. You really did a good job. So thanks for taking that extra effort. 
Speaking of word on the street, the SHRM event that's happening right now, and where's that being held? It's in Las Vegas. I was chatting with a couple of her friends, so Elia, who's a van hack, or partner on the show, and he actually has a boot. He was at Unleash as well. And his feedback was that it was way better than Unleash. And I think partly because is there's so many people. It sounds like there's a lot of activity around it. What are you hearing? Then there's obviously a lot more people, but... Well, I think there's a lot more conversations, right? And there's a lot more nice. practitioners than there was at Unleash. So if you're a vendor, obviously, you want to be talking to people that are making business decisions. And he felt it was a better place for business than the Unleash event. Maybe on networking and events and being in the HR tech space, Unleash and obviously HR tech conference are probably way better. But Sherm, as far as being a vendor and talking to actual decision makers and HR folks, it's way better in his mind. Even in saying that, I've thought about this because I've always been on the outside, not on purpose, but like I've always made fun of CPHR and SHRM because I think some of the ideas and the concepts are very outdated. And to be honest, I feel we are where we're at because of those two organizations. I still don't think they're forward thinking. I think they overly care about things that really don't affect the world of work in the way that we should be thinking. But anyways, that's just my perception. I don't think you'll see me at a SHRM event anytime in the near future, but... You never know if someone's willing for us to go and pay us. I'm on board. What's your thoughts? Would you do a SHRM event? I'd be really interested to hear some feedback on just how much of it is TA. Because I guess the reason we see ourselves as outsiders is because we've always advocated for the fact that talent acquisition really doesn't belong in HR. HR's job is to do things for talent management, for protecting the organization, understand employment law, being able to apply performance management. We bring them in and HR's job is to help the leaders keep people. And so the whole attraction and bringing people in is a completely separate practice, much like compensation or benefits administration. I don't have a high interest in HR or SHRM or CPHR because I believe that's where they should focus and stay out of the talent acquisition side. Let us help you with talent acquisition, but don't try and design it for us. I do want to jump into, we did a webinar with our friends at AppliChat, and it was a lot of fun. It was for the healthcare industry, and we were talking about how to select the right vendors in this space. We will re-air it because I thought there was a lot of great insights that anyone that's a practitioner looking at talent acquisition solutions, it could get them variable insights. I think it's available on YouTube right now, so we'll actually share the show notes. Yeah, Shelly, do we want to jump into the news? Yeah, every week we're looking at the reports that are coming through on job numbers. And so, of course, here we are in the middle of June and we are now seeing some job numbers from May. And so what was interesting was not just the number because the headline is 17,000 jobs were lost in the month of May. What I love to do is dig underneath that. And what exactly is happening? What was most interesting about May is what we call the highest employability 
age of any work group or any industry is that 25 to 54 year olds, right? Those are the most employable. So that in Canada in May actually saw a gain of 63,000 jobs. What was interesting was the youngest age group, that is those that are under the age of 25, saw a drop, which, you know, that's a head scratcher. Because youth employment, let's just say 18 to 24 year olds, those are the jobs that are typically the jobs you take on your way through school, right? Your summer employment, or very entry level jobs. And it seems to me that is where most employers are saying they're having trouble hiring. Yet we are seeing a drop in jobs being posted. I don't know, it's a head scratcher for me. Because I would think that's where you would go to find the right sort of entry level talent for service work, hospitality, retail, laborer roles. I was very confused, Shelley, when I was looking at those numbers, because the underlying numbers was minus 17,000 jobs wasn't really surprising to me. But when I saw the age group of 25 to 54, just gaining a ton of jobs and seeing that lower sector for exactly the same point you had, it made me think, I'm like, how are these calculated? Like, how do they put this together? And I looked at our friend ChatGPT to try to give me answers for Canada and the US. It's very survey based. What Canada says is they conduct interviews with selected households to collect data on employment. They don't share how many of these households they actually survey. I'm just confused if this data is just bullshit. And I was looking at the U.S., and the U.S. is a little bit more specific. They say approximately one-third of all non-farm employees in the United States are surveyed. And I'm like, that's bullshit. I've never met anyone that's been surveyed by Stats Canada or in the U.S., the labor union. What's your thoughts on the numbers overall? Well, I know that's the next thing we're going to dive into is taking a look at just the incredible increase in jobs being added into the American economy. Where the data comes from is that big question mark, because I make a few assumptions here, but Statistics Canada would have access to income tax and income related data, right? Anyone with a social insurance number, what age they are. All of this data exists when it's coming from Stats Canada, I do tend to put a little more weight in it than survey says. Uh, Well, it's not based on the data that you're just talking about. According to ChatGPT, then going to the Stats Canada website, which is 100% aligned, it's all survey data. There's no physical representation of the labor data if people are working or not working. That's where I'm really confused. I think the US is a lot more based like that, but not that different. Isn't that a weird thing? To be continued, because the other thing that the Stats Canada report went on to say was within that 20 to 24 age group, it was highest among young women. Found that fascinating. Even when you look this year over last, you know, my feelings about measuring everything against last year, but it's still 4% lower than it was in May of 2019. So interesting that youth employment is going the wrong direction. Or they're all part of the gig economy. They might be. That's the other factor. That <laughs> yeah. Do they yeah. consider themselves to be employed if you're DoorDash? Yeah. 
I don't know, Shelly, but I think the next time we bring on Andrew Flowers from AppCast, we should dig in on this question, really get a deep understanding of what does this job number actually mean? Yes. Well, I know they said AppCast was bringing on an economist for Canada. I think he should be about 90 days on the job now. We can start hitting him up. Yeah, I'm connected with him on LinkedIn. Okay. Do you want to jump into the U.S. numbers? I think you had some critical points there as well. Well, so the U.S. numbers, they added, they said 339,000 jobs in May. And I caught this news article coming from NPR.org. Again, what they're reporting is interestingly on the flip side of that same prime working age of 25 to 54, they are reporting something very encouraging. Women in that age group are returning to the workforce. And it's a real turnaround from the pandemic when there was a lot of question marks as to whether women that left the workforce, would they return? Are we going to permanently stay home? We figured out how to live on one income, whatever that might be. But there were concerns at that point, right? They are coming back. And this does prove that working women are going to continue to grow in that category. Probably the first piece of data that I've seen that supports what happened to all the women that did leave the workforce. So Mm. that's a good news story, in my opinion. It's a great news story. And I think it'll be interesting to see what it looks like a year from now. It's something we need to keep a close eye out. I do want to jump into some industry news. And a couple of days ago, I saw a post from Aura Levitt, who's the senior director, head of core group and premium at LinkedIn. Basically, she shared in a LinkedIn post, I'll read it to you, is I'm excited to share that we're unlocking a new way for job seekers to stand out among applicants and get one step closer to landing the roles they are the most passionate about. Today, we're proud to bring top choice jobs to market. Our newest feature that makes it easy for job seekers to let hirers know that the role they're applying for is the one they really want and the top choice for them. The top choice jobs uniquely connects both sides of the job market. Job seekers get to stand out while hirers sees deeper intense signals from applicants who are the most passionate about the role. Here is where it gets interesting. You need something. You need a premium subscription to be able to access this particular tool, which for me really crosses the line because they're getting a disadvantage compared to that job seeker that can afford a premium account, which varies from $80 to $150 a month. It's a really slippery slope. I've always been an advocate that you should never charge job seekers in any way. And this really seems to me like a pay to play type of scheme. What was your overall thought when you read this? Painful. Oh my God. Do you know what absolutely just shot an arrow through my heart was where she says, while hirers can see the deeper intense signals from applicants. Are you kidding me? How about the fact that I applied to your fucking job is my intention? Like, I think it's a slap in the face for job seekers. If I took the time to send you my resume, you think I'm not interested? If I took the time to write a cover letter, why would I do that? Because I'm not serious? Even the way she said it just made me cringe. Who is Aura? Do you know Aura Levitt? Okay, she's a salesperson. Has she ever been out of work? Or how about you go out and apply for 10 jobs and see how LinkedIn's working for you? 
That's my two cents. I agree with your assessment. In all fairness, she also did say, we started testing top choice jobs with premium subscribers and are evaluating a limited offering for free members in the coming week. They are looking at free members, but where do you think they're going to lean when they can actually get revenue? I'm going to be very curious if this takes off, but I do not see it taking off at all. I see this as something that's going to be dead within a couple of months, in my opinion. They will get backlash on this. Oh, and I hope they do. I really do, because it's absolutely a bad idea. Yes. So a Shelley, really bad idea. You have to start calling me Scoops McGee because okay, I Okay, Scoops McGee, what do you got? <laughs> so I've got signs in the market that Indeed is backing away from salary transparency. After reported pressure from some CEOs of large organizations, Indeed has been cautiously less adamant about the requirements. I heard this from an Indeed rep. It hasn't been confirmed. So it is a rumor. There's not 100% truth here. I want to put that caveat out there. But I did an audit test, first of all, in Canada. Let's see how many jobs either have an estimated salary or have a salary listed. And it was around 80% of those jobs, in all fairness. So there was 20% that did not have it. And if you looked at May 31st, pretty much 100% of those jobs had salary or estimated salary if no one had put it. Going to the US, this is where I found interesting. Most jobs had an estimated salary or salary until you start auditing the top employers. So I took a look at JP Morgan. Only jobs that had estimated salary or salary were very low entry level. Any of the laptop type of roles, they did not have it. And then I looked at, say, Marriott, same thing. Looked at the other banks, same thing. I don't know if this is just indeed being cautious because this is major revenue. So when you think about the JP Morgan Chase and how many roles they're hiring in Marriott, it's a huge number. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think this is actually happening? It makes sense. Like I, I, I can see Indy bowing a little bit to the pressure in a really tough environment. I guess I look at it differently. I think Indeed has always been, and certainly my direct experience is if an employer is to come to them and say, listen, your estimated is way off. They will absolutely adjust, change, and listen to clients. Yeah, you know what? They are for profit. Nobody ever said Indeed was a charity. Are they listening to customers? I believe they are. Are they realistic that there is a lot of complexity when it comes to compensation in industry sectors, geographical regions, and the different levels within an organization? Because what J.P. Morgan Chase calls a senior manager, another company may call a vice president. Those things are relevant. So like an 80% target is nothing to sneeze at. It has moved the market in the right direction. Job seekers clearly want to know what the job pays before they apply. That's loud and clear. They're still keeping up with what they said they would do. And the job seeker market, do you see them going somewhere else to apply? Because Indeed has 
by and large, provided salary for a vast majority of jobs. Job seekers are not saying, okay, well, I'm not going to look there anymore. No, just the opposite. So I know it's not a popular opinion to think that Indeed listens to their customers, but they do. So I'm glad you dusted off your Indeed pom-poms. I know. You always throw daggers at me for that. But listen, they are in business to make money, and I don't slight them. I don't slight anybody for being in business to make money. Shelly, the issue is not that. What is it? The issue is that Indeed, the message from day one being an Indeed employee is we're all about the job seekers. We even created a different division that only cares about job seekers, right? So that's the message that we're supposed to display to our clients saying, no matter what happens, a job seeker is the number one priority. It doesn't matter what corporations come. We're not going to bow down to them if it's not the right thing for the job seeker. Well, guess what? That's exactly what they did. They bowed down to the big corporations and for 20% for of jobs. Well, come on, sir. So Shelly, it, it's not the principle of 20 to 30% of jobs. Sure it I'm, is. Yes, no, it is. No, because no. Serge, you pointed out yourself that the more senior level of a role within an organization, the less likely there was either employer supplied or estimated market. It's all about the job seeker and what's best for them. And what's best for them, and they've made it clear in their own words when they launch pay transparency, that we need this. Did they make a big impact in the market when it comes to salary transparency? 100%. And there's no one else that could have done it. Maybe LinkedIn, but that has that much impact in the market that can force the market to move forward. So they did a great job. No one's arguing that. But you can no longer go to the market and be like, we only listen to the job seeker. Companies have complained about tons of things and they've never backed down and they are backing down now. The whole message is we need pay transparency because it's what job seekers need. And the minute that CEOs of large corporations who are big spenders being like, oh, we're going to back down. Well, you can't say that anymore. That's the only thing. So Serge, there's a difference between backing down and slowing down. I think it was just too ambitious that they could have 100% of jobs on their website with reasonably accurate estimates. So slowing down and getting it right, listening to their customers, it's not like they turned their back on the job seekers because job seekers are still going there. What did they do? They promised something to the job seeker and they're not delivering on that promise. So that to me is- Oh, 80% of the time they are. What stops other companies of doing that same complaint right now and we're going backwards instead of going forward? The other issue I have with this is- A little dramatic. No, I'm not being dramatic. (laughs) Yes, you are. They're not turning their back on the job seeker. Good God. Just the opposite. The other factor here is how quiet. They they haven't told anyone and have told their reps- to be quiet about it. That's what I'm hearing. Again, it's rumors. The audit is showing that this could be true. But anyways, let's jump into the tip of the week, Shelly. Okay. So the tip is for recruiters that are interviewing right now for recruiter jobs, you will be held to a higher standard if you're a recruiter being interviewed, right? Because we do this for a living. So I just wanted to leave everyone with what I think are three awesome questions. Because at the end of the interview, they'll usually say, do you have any questions for us? And my number one advice, don't ask what are the benefits, please. No, 
be prepared with three really good questions that show that you're truly interested in the job. The first one is, how about this? What changes have been implemented based on employee suggestions? Can you imagine being asked that? Another really good one. Do you do exit interviews? And then if you do, what is the most recent change that you've made based on exit interview feedback? That is going to tell you so much about the company's culture. It's also going to tell you directly how recruitment is going to be affected. Because we're expected to go out there and just keep bringing them in. But if we're not listening to why they're leaving, and the last is, what characteristics do all your top performers share? So imagine if their response is, all of our top performers work 14 hours a day, weekends, and wouldn't hesitate to come in every morning at 6am. Does that not tell you an awful lot that you're not going to see on the job description? So that's a tip of the week. Three great questions to ask at the end of an interview. So Shelly, I think this came out because you've been interviewing a lot of recruiters. And I want to I ask you, how good have they been in interviews? Are recruiters good interviewees? I will tell you, those that made it to the shortlist blew my mind. They took every single practice that we know are effective, what would impress us, and have applied that to themselves. I did speak to 23, not because I couldn't whittle it down to shorter than 23, but very interested to see how prepared they were, to see how much research they had done. And get a sense of just how much of their resume is what they wrote themselves and not chat GPT. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because let's jump into the recruiting insight. Yes. I held that door open for you. Yeah, exactly that topic because I've been watching a lot of TikTok videos on the world of work from recruiters, from people applying for jobs, and I'm seeing a ton of advice and tools that are helping job seekers apply to a large amount of jobs. And I even saw advice from a company called OneSulting. I think he used to be an ex-LinkedIn and ex-Facebook employee. And he shared, I guess, a practice that I was like, holy shit, this is scary to me. And I'll, I'll explain it to you. What you do is you create a company in LinkedIn. Then you go in the job post section of that company when you've created a company page and say you're a director of marketing, right? And those are the type of jobs you want to apply for. So you create a director of marketing job. You find a job description somewhere on the internet or get ChatGPT to create it for you. And then what you do is you take the top resumes of the people that fill the skill set. You basically copy that. Then you go to ChatGPT, and here's my resume. Here are the key skills for the type of roles that I'm looking for. And here are the examples of people that have those skill sets. Can you incorporate those skills and keywords and things they've accomplished into my resume with the experience I have? And then ChatGPT comes out with a resume that's highly targeted to that particular role. Here is my concern with this, Shelly. And I think we're going to see a lot of this because the other element is these auto apply. Basically, what's your dream job? I want to be a senior project manager. Well, it's going to keep applying to every senior project manager role that it finds on the internet. 
And I'm like, are we going to get to a point that people actually can't do the job? They're adding experience and skills that's not really true. And when we get to be doing the job, we're going to feel miserably because the other point to it is the AI tool that when you're doing a video interview is actually listening to the interview and giving you the answers, running it down on a different screen so you can actually answer the question from the interviewer. Man, a lot of people are going to get into jobs and be really bad at it. And I am concerned for recruiters that are getting tons of applications that are they real? Do people even know they're applying for those jobs? Aren't we not inundated with job applications with most roles anyways? And then we have job seekers complaining, well, no one got back to me. I'm like, yeah, there's 400 applications. I'm not going to go through 400 applications and give personalized feedback to everyone. That's where my head is at right now with AI. And I I know we've been big proponents of using it on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Is it unfair for me to be really cautious of what's going on right now with job seekers and how they're applying for jobs? What's your take here, Shelly? Yeah. Do you know what absolutely struck fear in my heart was a CBS News article that talked about AI job applications. Once you fill in their form, it will go out and apply, write cover letters, send your resume and fill in all those dumbass forms that companies have put in place. Like we're talking all the big ones, right? They specifically quote, iSIMS is one of the biggest players in the U.S., Their internal job application data, year to date, we're talking between January of 2022 to April of 2023, 31% increase in applications. Okay, so we know if it takes you personally 45 minutes to fill in the job application, how many could you possibly do versus using an app? that you subscribe to that will auto fill in everything for you and apply for the job. Now, that's a little different than what you're talking about where they've taken and customized your resume. But I think it's on that same track. The fact is we are seeing this absolute explosion of applicants because job seekers have figured out, I'm not going to sit and do this. Why wouldn't I automate it? And that's what's happening. You know, I get it though. I'm not blaming job seekers, but I guess where I'm concerned, is this actually helping anyone? Are we going to get to the point where robots are interviewing robots? It feels like it's not that far away. I think this is going to make recruiting worse because as a recruiter, especially in downsized recruitment department, how do you deal with this volume that's coming in that in reality, the job seeker doesn't even know he applied for the job. And they might if they go look at their dashboard and, oh, I applied to these 50 jobs today without knowing. But is this improving anything? It is, Serge. From the job seeker's perspective, if you had to do this manually, it would take you weeks to fill in that many of those register to apply. It's a numbers game. Because we see this over and over again. I applied to 30 jobs and got one reply out of 30 jobs. So then if I apply to 100 jobs, I should get at least three interviews maybe. This is a direct result of the register to apply process. We train the market to do it. 
And they did go on to say, there are certain work from home jobs, they don't even have time to answer them all. Like it's gone up to the thousands of applicants when it's posted as a work from home job. Well, and Shelly, where job seekers are saying the biggest issue they have is being ghosted by employers. I think this is going to increase ghosting because a lot of employers are going to be like, well, instead of even a real application, fuck it, I've got so many, I'm just going to move on with the few that I feel are real. But I, I get that because we've complicated it so much to apply that they found the hack, right? I would really encourage the audience to look at assessments that are based on the human being. Because what this solves is the problem of apply. What we're looking for is a solution on selection. And so I would encourage if you're a TA lead and you're seeing this sort of surge in applications, take a look at plum.io because that is something in your process that then helps you figure out if it's a human or not. Because the resume it's a complementary data point. Companies like Plum.io are just timed perfectly in this market. If they ever open up stock options, I'm in. <laughs> like, honestly, Serge, when we think about what is the problem, why has this happened, and what are we offering for solutions? It is things like Plum.io. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I want to jump into the next recruitment insight. And we have a conversation with Boz Van de Hattard, who's going to be airing next week. Yeah. But one of the things that he's very focused on is career sites. And there was some eye-opening stats in that conversation when it came to the difference between career sites, which includes your job listing, the application process, all of that fun stuff from Europe to Canada. And I started digging a little bit deeper, getting a sense like, what is so different, right? I'm going on a ton of sites that I don't understand the language. But then I found a study that was done that looked at the Euro 100. So it's like our Fortune 100, I guess, here in North America. And it looked at some elements of the career site that I've never really thought of. Out of the 100 companies they looked at, 89% of career sites could be viewed on all devices without issues. So desktop, tablet, mobile device. One of the things that's surprising to me in Canada, when you get to the job listing or the application process here in North America, very few have a mobile enhanced type of application process, which Europe seems to be way ahead of us. The other one was 85% of companies removed expired jobs from third-party sites. Are you wow. removing your jobs from third-party? Because it's really hard to do. Because you're being scraped from everywhere in the internet, and that is a challenge. But 85% have been able to figure this out. The other one is 74% career sites had a single sign-on option for easy returning access, which is great. Every time you're going back on the site, you can log in quickly. I don't know what that looks like. I need to dig in deeper of what's the big difference as far as registering to apply. But like Boss said, I was looking at all these career sites and very few had registered. I think I went through 20 sites and I found one that you needed to register to apply, which was fascinating to me because here in Canada, it's the opposite. So Shelly, yes. another fantastic week. Mm -hmm. So good. And I do check out the recruitmentflex.com. And if there's any feedback on that would be great. The other thing I'm going to call out quickly, Shelly, we want to be discovered a little bit more 
One of the ways that we can get discovered even more when people are looking at HR recruitment type podcasts is the more reviews that you do have, they put you higher on the list. We've got a lot of reviews, but we need more. So if we have given you any value in listening to us, I would really appreciate you going on to your preferred platform that you listen and adding a review. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. And Shelly, have a great weekend. Thanks, Serge. You too. Bye now. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.